welcome to Bruin Source. This is Isaiah. This is Zach. And we are recording on December 21st after a big weekend of sports. Um, so yeah, we're going to recap uh, basketball, you know, our, our trip to Cleveland, uh, the girls, how, how they did with Cal coming to Poly, and we'll talk about football in the conclusion of the regular season, um, which... Uh, took place on Saturday versus a very pesky Stanford team. This weekend sucked. Yeah, I actually did a wellness check on Zed. Uh, I messaged his fiance and I was like, hey, <laughs> Zed's gone missing following the basketball game and the football game. <laughs> what is going on? Uh, but yeah, that kind of hints at how things went. Uh, basketball, how did you feel? What did you think about the game? I was more disappointed by that loss than I was about football. I just had expectations, I guess, more so than for football. But, uh, you know, looking back on that game, I think we played well, minus just shooting the ball. Like, we were getting decent offensive looks, and we were playing good defense. We just could not score. Um, And I think you were correct in saying last week that we need more out of Chris Smith. Um, That proved to be incredibly accurate. And he has not looked like the player anyone thought he would look like. Like, not even remotely close. He doesn't even look like the guy from last year. Uh, So that's becoming an increasing problem that I think we, the team and Mick Cronin need to somehow address. Um... You know, especially with Juzang seemingly still getting his feet kind of underneath him. He still is not scoring um, much. Uh, He's missing a lot of shots still. And, you know, Smith is just not, not there. And so that's, that's a bit of a concern. I do think that, you know, this team will get better as the season goes on. So it's not, you know... I, our season isn't sunk or anything on that game, but you know it was disappointing to see that game kind of slip away just due to not being able to hit shots down the stretch. That was annoying. Yeah, um, I really thought we would pull this one out, especially after watching Ohio State play Purdue. Uh, they did get EJ back, which was one of their you know their main scores, right. but. I think you also pointed out you're like they could go on a hot streak from the perimeter, and that's what they did, and that's what kept them afloat. Our perimeter defense was really lacking in the first probably 15 minutes, um, and you know we let up also at the end of the game when they stormed back, but they just hit a lot of shots they needed to hit. They um, hit a lot of you tough know, shots too. Yeah, and Jalen, I think he should have been in the game uh, sooner than – he was, but you know, Riley actually had a pretty good game, um, offensively. I'm like, curious. You have to get credit. He did, yeah. Now you're you're right. I'm curious about Jalen. Do you think this is still kind of an injury related, um, kind of snap count, if you will? You know, originally I thought that, but it feels like, I mean, maybe after this loss, Cronin's gonna adjust. Uh, but it actually felt like he felt like this was the best starting lineup. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I know he has Hakez and, you know, Juzang, um, as the other two wings, the big wings, but 
maybe there's some shuffling there, but Jalen needs to be in to start and set the tone. Um, he looks healthy from to, to my eyes, you know, so I don't know if there's going to be any personnel switches going into Oregon. I wouldn't be surprised knowing, knowing Cronin and what he did last year, especially benching Prince Ali, you know, after a few games and seeing the, the change, you know, in, in the rotation in that end. But, yeah, originally I think you're right. It was about injury, but we were rolling. You know, we're on five straight with the lineup we had, but I think he saw the impact. It, I mean, Jalen's just invaluable on both sides of the right. court. So. Yeah, I mean, he's he's the better player. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, it was, like you said, disappointing, and I did – it felt like there were moments in that game where we would build up like a four or five point lead and have opportunities to really blow it open into double digits. And we just, we could never hit that shot. Like we could never hit that one open layup or the open three that would like really put us ahead. And every time we missed like Ohio state would just go on a run and tie it or take the lead back. And, you know, from a neutral perspective, it was a really fun game to watch. Uh, a lot of it, it was going back and forth. I mean, both teams clearly played hard. There wasn't a lack of trying or effort on our team's end, but you know, we just we couldn't execute at the end. Um, and a lot of that had to do. I mean, I, Chris Smith, and we we mentioned this earlier, but like he he looked like he missed like eight and wasted frankly like eight to ten possessions where he just sort of drove it into nowhere and tried to do these weird like off balance hook shots around the like it didn't make any sense what he was doing uh it it reminded me of like freshman year jules bernard where he just sort of like ran in to the teeth of the defense and tried to chuck up a shot um so I, I, what do you think's going on with him? Yeah, I mean, at this point, he just doesn't look focused. I don't know what it is. Um, you know, last year, we started to see him come into his own and him starting to take a leap, especially by conference play. Uh, I don't know if we get a repeat of that, if this seems like a seasonal thing, or if... I, I don't know. It's, it is a mystery because... He is, I mean, he's going through the motions, but you just don't, you mentioned it earlier over the, you know, the first six games before Ohio State, he just doesn't seem to have that aggression, and you're pinpointing it more towards his character, if that's just what it is, but it also, I don't know, it just seems to be something going on, Um, whatever it is, I can't speculate on that end, because we, there's not even anything that's suggested outside of him just not being focused. I don't know, maybe it's the Paul George syndrome. (laughs) It's strange. He's not the only player out there. (laughs) Paul George syndrome. God, I hope not. I mean, it's just it's super strange because he he there was no injury issue, right? So it's not like he's coming off that or he's rusty. And you would think for a guy who gave up, you know, potentially being drafted again, he was kind of on the cusp, but there was some buzz around his name. Um. But you would think a guy who gave up that opportunity to come back to school to really build his, dra- his draft stock to, to you know, be a first-rounder and a lot of buzz around him, you know, being on all the preseason kind of Naismith and Player of the Year award lists, 
that he would try to at least take the leap. And I, I, he is playing hard. I don't think it's a lack of effort. I just There's something off about his game right now. He's just not playing confidently and not playing uh, smartly, frankly, on the, on the court. So I just I don't know what's going on. But it is something that Cronin needs to address ASAP because I do think you know, the more I think think about it, I, I do agree with you, your point that this team ceiling is really Smith, um, especially on the offensive side. And if Smith can kind of get the light, uh, uh, the light bulb on, then we can make a pretty deep run in the tournament. And, and without Smith, you know, playing at a high level, then we're, you know, like a second weekend team at best, maybe. At best. It all depends on our matchup. Right. Um, even then, we could get a tough, depending on where we're seated. That's the other thing about this game was, I mean, for us, like you mentioned, we, we're still, we could still have a great season, but the implication that implications it has on the Pac-12 are very important. And yet again, we lose to out-of-conference team that is, you know, I imagine within the top 30 of Ken Palm's ratings or whatever, however people and analysts judge, you know, these kind of wins. Uh, and so it could seed us, you know, in a seventh seed, and we get a tough 10, 10 seed matchup, um, and it just make the path much harder for RN. Um, and those are the implications. I don't really care about the oh, you know, the Pac-12 is only going to get three teams because if that's the case, that's just our doing. But more so, the seeding is 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 more important on this and the implications that come from a loss like this. The other thing, you know. I mentioned that we need Chris Smith to do well to to kind of secure the the type of performances and us not be in this position, but Tiger had a really off game. Um, aside from moving the ball, but just offensively, his own skill set. It's just one thing I love about him that he's able to penetrate, but once he gets to the hoop, it's just not enough lift or there's not enough push on the shot, you know, outside of these nice floaters he has every so often. And I would really like to see him, as the season goes on, to finish much stronger. I know he's, you know, considered an undersized guard. And what is he, 5'11"? And he's one of the smallest guys on the court. But there's this type of jump that he just needs to have to be effective. Because right now, it's it's, it's really lacking. And I remember last year, I felt like he, he, he was getting onto that. It wasn't, you know, something that was reliable, but... He was able to finish strong because I'm watching these. He gets to the, the end and then somehow he just, the ball just doesn't have enough air on it. It doesn't have enough arc. And I get it from his position, you know, trying to get it over these six, eight, you know, six, seven guys uh, can be tough, but he's going to have to improve on that because that also put us in a hole. Um, he was getting great looks and, you know, going one for 10 is just inexcusable for a guard who's taking the type of shots he's taking. Um, I mean, he had the offense rolling. He had good looks. He had the highlight, you know, transition play where he just kind of, you know, hands it off to, to Hakez on, on the run. But we just need much more from him as well. I know I speak about Chris Smith, but Tiger's given up. One for ten is that's, you know, even if you half that, or if you do four from ten, that's six points right there. Um you know, that, that we, we could do, we can very much use. So we need a better performance from him on the um, finishing. Yeah, no, that's 
you're you're totally right about that. I mean, the, uh, there is a theory that is, you know, Smith isn't the most important offensive player. It's actually Tiger and him driving and kicking and and hitting those floaters is really going to unlock the offensive potential of this team. And I think there is some merit to that. Um, ideally, you get both of those guys going, and then you're you're just going to be rolling. So. I don't know. It's a uh, it's a tricky situation, but you know, I I think that's it's up to the coaching staff to kind of see what's going on and address them. Um, and I and that might be a, a matter of you know Chris Smith for Chris Smith. It's benching him for a little bit, especially with the way Jules Bernard has been playing. Um, he he's really taken a leap this season and I, and I like what I see from him um, or, or maybe not fully benching him, but just taking a lot of minutes, keeping Smith in the starting lineup and then just rotating Bernard and Singleton in a lot more. And even Jalen Clark, just, you know, get other guys in there that, you know, are, are more likely to make a play right now on the offensive end. Cause Smith just isn't doing it. And maybe that'll, kind of uh, be the kick that uh, he needs to get going. I don't I don't know, but, you know, I, I trust Mick Cronin to evaluate the situation and, and hopefully figure it out. Yeah, if anything, his first year has shown that he is willing to make adjustments, so I'm, I'm excited to see what he does going forward with this situation. Yeah, and now we have another tough game coming up on Wednesday at noon against Oregon. At Oregon, too. Yeah. I mean, it is different with no fans, but, yeah, still that you're on that ugly court. I think the thing that – and then also the travel, I think, to take that into consideration. Like, these guys right. flew out to Cleveland, and now they flew directly to Oregon. They didn't – you know, for COVID reasons, aren't going to do any other unnecessary travel traveling back to L.A. So, they are – I believe they're in Oregon already. Um, they're there. So, it is – it's a tough – two-game stretch just in, in general um, of the circumstances, but we still expect our team um, to pull out these wins that we – you know, you mentioned uh, with the Ohio State game that it just felt like they are going to pull away and they just didn't make the layup or they didn't make the shot. There was one shot when Hawkins came down and he hit that three, and I think we went up by six or seven points, and we are like, okay, this is what we build on, and then Ohio State just crawled back. Um, hell of a performance by Washington as well. Dwayne Washington, who Mick Cronin announcers announced that Mick Cronin did uh, recruit to Cincinnati, was there, so he was familiar with this game. But those are the kind of dogs that you know we also need on our team. And Tiger, I mean, we already kind of have that, but we just need them to be to perform consistently. Tiger, I, I love his game. I just need him to finish because he got outplayed by Dwayne Washington. Yeah, it's. No, definitely. I think the the guard play. I think we mentioned of OSU would be what would bring him back. Cause you know Liddell fell out midway through the second half, so it wasn't like he was a huge factor down the stretch or anything. He was no factor. Um, we just couldn't take advantage of it because, like you said, Washington and some of those other guards hit big big threes and hit some big shots. Um, there was the kid with the the goofy hair that hit two big threes that put him up ahead. Um, that really felt like it iced the game towards the end of the that that half. So it's just yeah, it's it's gonna be tough now, kind of you know taking the that 
punch to the chin and then going to into Oregon to try to try to win this and and of these are games that we need you know not that we expect to win but we need to win too to some degree like if you're going to be a good tournament team or a team that's going to make a deep run like these are games that we need to be winning um and i know it's still early on in the season but it's uh it's it's and and we know that this team you know cronin will keep building as each game goes but you know it just it, as a fan it is disappointing to see and and hopefully it is something we can grow from um but oregon is a big game especially for the pac-12 race yeah um so what are, what are we looking at at oregon i i can admit i haven't really watched them this year um i mean they they are doing the same Oregon thing. It's like they have a bunch of guys that they've brought in as transfers. Um, that, you know, Dana Altman has just sort of become this master of cobbling together a bunch of pieces and building a good team. Um, you know, you have Omar Rui, I think is how you say his name, who's, you know, lead, their leading scorer. Um, from kind of the wing position and he's been averaging over 18 points a game and he's just been really good coming uh, into the season and yeah it's they're they're gonna be a tough out I think I mean they lose a lot of guys from last year right they don't have Peyton Pritchard anymore thank god but you know they Altman again just replaces them with brings in some good recruits get some uh, guys to transfer and they're kind of rolling again. I think they're ranked 25 now. Um, and so it's, it's not going to be an easy game, um, especially like you said, on the road. So I don't know. It's, it's, um, it's definitely a win that we need for the PAC 12, but it's going to be tough. And I think they, uh, they're, they match up well against us and, and, you know, they just, we just have always seem to have bad luck in, in Oregon anyways. So I'm not feeling super confident about it, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah, and this one's a, a ESPN televised game, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it'll be just the classic UCLA-Oregon games. The basketball games, I mean, they've been thrilling in the past for different reasons. We've been on the, the right side of it, and then sometimes we've fallen on the other side. Uh, but, yeah, I'm curious to see how these guys, this group of guys following. I know they lost a lot of guys, so I wasn't sure um, if they had someone who's ready to step up. I know they had a big win against uh, Seton Hall at the beginning of the year, but even that win right now doesn't seem that great because Seton Hall has fallen to – well, not fallen, but they're five and four, so they're not completely the team that we remember them being last year. Um, and they played a close game against Washington, which I, you know, I saw from the box score. And mostly they, they seemed to, to be up on Washington, but Washington stormed back to bring it, you know, within a three-point three loss. So I'm curious to see how they are. I know they're ranked 25th, but I wonder if that's just on name and, you know, uh, the expectations. Yeah, I mean, so they've only – they've lost one game, right? to Missouri at the beginning of the season. But 
you know, they they're sort of looks like they're coming into form a little bit again. Um, but you know, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough challenge. I, I Dana Altman is is a solid coach, and I think we just have a weird history with Oregon basketball. I feel like where we we always have really good games with them, and they don't always go our way on the road uh, in Oregon. So. I'm looking forward to it. I'm nervous because it feels like a must-win game going, you know, as the second game of the season, but um, or second conference game of the season. But hopefully, hopefully they prove me wrong. It's just, uh, yeah, it's a little scary coming off that game and how we played it down the stretch. And hopefully, there's no like hangover effect from that. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you what, a hangover effect is not really seeming to, to linger with, uh, with the, the girls team. They've been doing awesome. They had a great game against Cal. They have Saturday. a huge game in an hour and a half. Yeah, but they destroyed Cal. I mean, it was pretty much just one of those, like, okay, let's, uh, everybody gets to eat. And my girl, Natalie, she had 18 points, led the team. So I was happy about that. She was hot from three. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was pretty much that. Osborne didn't do as, you know, as well in the box score, but it wasn't even that type of game. So, uh, rolled over Cal, destroyed them. And who are we playing uh, soon? We play Stanford, number one Stanford. Yeah, uh, probably our biggest game, well, early on in the season because we have Stanford again, if I'm right. Um, so, this is the first one. Well, it's it's always a big game anytime you're playing uh, the number one team. But um, you know Stanford's coming in undefeated. Where you have that one loss to Arizona, we're ranked in the top ten now. And you know I think this is a game where you know women's basketball is tough to really climb the rankings at all. It, it stays very stable for the most part. But this is an opportunity that if we do win, we can jump up a few spots. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, we, we were able to take down, we've, we've been able to take down Stanford when they're ranked higher than us in the past under Corey Close. Um, and, you know, I'm confident that this team will be ready to take on the challenge, but, you know, Stanford's always a good team and, you know, let's not take that away from them. So it's not like we're going to, it's just not going to be a walk in the park. They are the number one team for a reason. Um. So hopefully we can get that upset and um, you know jump up in in ranking a little bit and get a better seed and be it be you know in that that Pac-12 hunt. Well, if trend follows, um, if we're gonna go off of the men's football to women's basketball, oh last God. week we we had UCLA USC losing a tough game and then. Um, the girls blew out USC the next day. Now, I'm not predicting a blowout with Stanford, but I do expect the girls to give them a challenge. And, um, you know, last year they won the first game of the year, and then they lost that second one. But um, this one, I believe, is at Stanford. Is that correct? I think you're right. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we won at Stanford last year by 10 points, so hopefully we can, you know, give a similar effort and follow trend. Um I take that back. It's a, I just checked. It said Polly. It's at Polly? Okay. Yeah. But even better. So, 
yeah, I'm excited to see what happens later on today uh, with the girls. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one, but it'll be fun. And uh, hopefully we can um, we can uh, pull this one out. That would be a huge win and makes me feel better about football. Not really, but makes it's me feel better about nice beating beat Stanford. Stanford. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, do we on that note. <laughs> do we have to? Uh, we can just skip it. Let's just give a sum up. What did you What did you think of the game? Um, going into it, I had no hope because I don't have hope with this team anymore. Uh, and then we went up fourteen, and I knew I shouldn't have had hope because of what happened the week before. But I am an idiot, and I still did, and I got more excited than I should have, and then, of course, they let us down. And it was the same story, it feels like, every time we talk about giving up these leads. Like, the offense stalls out to some degree, and we, like, just leave our defense out there for too long. We have the defense playing just incredibly stupid coverage schemes where we for whatever reason love to give up 10 to 15 yards on the de- on the receivers that every quarterback known to man can take advantage of like throw me out there and if you leave a dude at 15 yards of open space like I'll probably be able to make that throw it's just yeah, like yeah i mean i don't understand that it's actually it doesn't make sense so we make adjustments right and then we – I don't understand why this staff continues, and I think it's more so Chip Kelly because it comes from the top down. But I don't understand why we abandon what works. It's like the reverse of insanity. Um, and then we stick to that, and we just think that, you know, in the last four minutes, their number one target of the season, their, uh, their you know, most productive receiver, very much in the lineage of a Stanford wide receiver, Fahoka, um, just just has so much space, and he delivers, and he shows he has the hands over and over, and he's getting in rhythm. He's a hot player that once he catches it, he's, you know, he, he's good to go, and he'll catch the next one, he'll catch the next one. I mean, the guy, you know, he he's more in the mold of, like, a Drake London. Those guys, once they catch the ball, they're, you know, they're good to go. They're going to catch it at different angles. Like, he's... It, you just saw it happening as soon as that ball went up in the air. You're like, great. Well, it doesn't matter because we know our men are, are, are trying to cover the, the five-yard space that freaking As um, or Chip Kelly, whoever was making the call, it was probably As was, you know, giving them the cushion. So it's it's insane. I even, I mean, my mom texted me. She doesn't really watch all UCLA games, but she was like, I want to watch this one. And she was like, why aren't they, why is it so obvious? Like, why aren't they going after that for Hoka? And she had never said his name ever <laughs> or knew about <laughs> this kid. And she already, you know, she was even questioning it. Like, and my mom, who has no, she still doesn't understand football uh, completely, like, just gets this small concept of cover this player who's killing us. It just doesn't make sense, like, how we could even let this game go to OT. I get it. The, the spot was egregious. Um, I was texting Zed, you know, he was ahead of me in terms of the delay. 
Um, and I was just like, no way he got that. And I was, you know, pretty upset with the spot. But I don't like our games. And I think I've said this in the past. I, if our games are relying on refing to win, then, you know, we weren't putting ourselves in a position to win in the first place. So No, I, I, t- I, I completely agree with that. And, you know, especially in the Pac-12 where we see time and time again terrible refing. And why are we leaving it up to refs? I don't know. I, I, and I agree, that was just an absolute awful call, but we shouldn't have been in that position to begin <laughs> with, and we, they still marched down the field after that, because we just kept giving them cushion, and they kept taking advantage of it, it was like, it, it just, just, stu- pure stupidity really is all it was, but I, yeah, I, I mean, I, even down, nobody had an issue with the two-point conversion. Um, granted, we were a little bit nervous given, you know, Stanford's line at that point was just breaking through. But, like, why would you run the same play that was obviously revealed, you know, on that flag or that, that timeout, you know? Like, it was clear they just almost ran Brendan Brown. Why would you do it again? It's, it's just, ugh. I... I was okay with going for two up until the flag. At that point, I just felt like we should have just kicked it. You I, may be right. It was kind of like icing, you know, icing the two-point, you know, I guess what would it be, icing the QB, icing the RB. But, yeah, you're right on that end. It did feel like, all right, the players and their sorts were, you know, their adrenaline's a little bit out of sorts. Like, how can we just calm them down for a bit, put our defense on the field? But then again, do we trust? I I don't know if we necessarily trusted the defense. And and I just want to be clear: I'm not criticizing the players. I think the the defensive players as a whole played very well uh, throughout the game. But you can't blame them after they get gassed. And also, they're just the coaches were not putting them in in positions to succeed. Like, I get that the Stanford receivers are are big and physical. And a lot of our corners are not necessarily the biggest guys. I would be much more comfortable and okay on dying on that hill if we were trying to jam receivers and just getting beat. At least we're trying, right? This was just—it felt like we're just—we we're not going to be able to do this, so we're just not going to try, and then kept getting beat anyways. Yeah, like there was a loss of confidence mid-game with our yeah. defense, who who was the one who brought us back, like. Are Quentin Lake, um, Mo Osling, like I, I don't like we had plays from our defenders. They were making plays on all sides, you know, on on, on all levels, and we just abandoned that. You know, all they had was like four, what four and a half minutes just to finish it out, and we we just didn't call the right plays. Well, we're talking about the secondary, but we also stopped bringing pressure, which was working. We started just laying off on the QB. Like, the second we started applying pressure to Mills, he started making terrible throws and threw three picks. And then we, for whatever boneheaded reason, decided to not do that anymore. And then just started playing soft defense, and they took advantage of it. I mean... Stanford's a big physical team. They were always going to kind of try to impose their will, but we really just let them in the the end of the second half, which was the most frustrating part. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it again, it just speaks to that's the most frustrating thing is that you it's becoming predictable in the sense of letting the score dictate the play calling um, for the wrong reasons. Uh, and what I mean by that is that as soon as we go up by 14, we're like, fuck, we're going to go into prevent now. Um, we all saw it coming. We also um, need to talk about, we went up 14 with, again, Chase Griffin back in the game because of DTR. And, and you know, let's let's hope DTR's injury is okay for his, his future's sake. Um, but Chase Griffin balled out, and I... I sincerely believe that we run a smoother offense with Chase Griffin in there. Yeah. I have a theory what uh, DTR's injury is. I won't say it on the podcast for now, but I'll let you all know on future podcasts if I was right. Because <laughs> oh, I texted to Zed, and I was like, alright, that looks like an injury I've had in the past. But Zed says I'm wrong. We'll see. Um, you get your MD first, and then I'll take your advice on this. Yeah, I mean, we may never actually find out knowing their staff, so. Right. Um, no, but, you know, the. I think this is this is a, something on, on Twitter that we were debating with some folks, but I think there's no question that DTR is the more talented quarterback. Like, let's just get that out of the way. Or no, nobody is saying that DTR is not the more talented quarterback. What I'm saying, I think that there's a combination of, you know, Chase Griffin's kind of football savvy and and football smarts that he possesses that DTR still doesn't seem to fully grasp. And for whatever reason, when Chip Kelly, when uh, Griffin is in the game, Chip Kelly actually calls an offense that is what he should be calling regardless of the QB. Like, he runs a more run-heavy offense, which is our strength, and tries to throw less, which is fine. Um, but he should be doing that even with DTR. <laughs> like, we should be a run-first offense when we need to throw. We will throw the ball once in a while. When, but for whatever reason, he tries to throw too much with DTR. And by the way, I will say Chase Griffin made some fantastic throws in this game so it's not like that kid can't throw the ball yeah i mean i I think to your point yeah you're right he calls you have a point there he he calls the right plays with chase under um center and chase is i i think the thing is most of us are like yeah chase is great because uh it seems like the team is more stable or more balanced or the coaching scheming but the guy has put up some points as the qb like we look at it now we're we were down, I mean, before DTR's injury, we had three points. And as soon as, you know, he comes in, you know, in the second half, once he gets his, his bearings and, and gets into rhythm, we, we ripped 30 unanswered points. Um, and, and even then, I mean, we finished the game with 47, and he made some great throws, not just the last throw where that was such a great throw to Kyle Phillips and where he did it on the run. And something that I, I mean, I both of us can attest to. There's been fun, great quarterbacks in the past, but even making that throw is that was very like Russell Wilson, like like Kyler Murray in terms of that play um, on a fourth down conversion to tie the game in OT. That is like that type of just balance. Um, 
you know, internally and, and, and composure is something you can't really teach. And I think all of us talk about his limitations. We've seen the pick six in Oregon. But I think with reps, it, it's it's interesting. With reps has been kind of what I've been pus- positioning that DCR needs in order to become a better quarterback. But I would say with Chase, I am more so I've been pro let's start DTR because it'll get there. The, the ceiling's way higher. Uh, he can take this team further, but I just honestly, this game's convinced me. This was a game that convinced me that Chase uh, should be the starter. I'm now on the the Chase the Chase uh, train because he should be the starter. Because I've seen it with reps, he could be very much a polished QB and not just a game manager. He made some great throws. He made that great throw to Chase Coda as well. And I saw Chase just seemed to light up because I know I don't know if anybody saw the frustration. With Chase, um, it was during, which game was it? It was the one before USC, uh, where DTR ran it in against ASU. Against ASU, DTR runs it in, but Chase is pretty much wide open as he, you know, he hits the flat. And Chase, he puts his hands up and obviously celebrates, but DTR. Chase Coda, not not great. Chase Coda. Yeah, 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 sorry. Coda, so Coda, our wide receiver, you know, I guess. But I really... It speaks to it, you know, it goes understated on Stanford. Like, he got that TD, you know, chase-to-chase connection. Um, And so to see Griffin, he has, he goes through his reads, he goes through his progressions, but I think his limitations he can easily improve on um, because it's not just about size. I don't think it's that because we've seen smaller guys chuck the ball, you know, at his height. Um... And so with reps, I think he could be like a very, very good QB. Well, and people... you know, all of us, all of us. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, and then the thing about Chase is just like, I do genuinely think you know DTR loves his experience at UCLA, minus the fact of the performance of of the the football team and how his own personal career has gone. But Chase, just us knowing his genuine love for UCLA since a baby boy, you know, being from Texas, but like having videos of him, like it's, it's just, it's such a story. We want to see him on the field, you know, with so much pride for a program. Uh, I think they're both out, you know, they're great men off, off young men off of the, the field. And we both have, you know, we we can evaluate and I've critiqued, you know, some of the antics that DTR has. And I know Zed has as well. Um, but Chase just, it, it feels right when Chase is, uh, Chase is actually under center. It, it feels like a, a childhood dream coming true for a kid, um, who, who seems to really, really want it and doesn't take anything for granted. Um, I, I do want to know just kind of on, on his limitations or, or whatever you want to call it, like. I think one thing that people keep bringing up is like, oh, we can't throw down the field with with Chase as much, or he doesn't have the arm. But when do we ever actually successfully throw it down the field? Like, very rarely yeah, do we take deep shots, and even rarer than that, do we actually complete them. So it's not like we're missing a huge part of our offense that we run or anything like that. And and I, frankly, Chase took a couple of deeper shots that he made good throws on this game so i think that helped put that fear to bed a little bit in my mind at least 
Yeah, I mean, the the big shots we've always seen down the field have, have kind of been these 20, 30-yard throws that DTR and Chase have thrown to the tight end between the seams or Felton who've gotten open, right? In the past, I mean, it, it, it just it speaks to the personnel. We don't have the game-breaking uh you know, speedsters to break away for those big throws. So what's, you know, why worry about that to your point until we do like we had Kenny Walker, you know, during the Rosen and Hundley years and he would drop the ball, but he got a few big ones, um, you know, while those guys had bigger arms to throw those, but we haven't had that in a long time. We we're not vertical that. at all. We're not vertical. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it, it's a moot point because Chase can obviously hit Dulcich in the middle um, I think if I remember the last big throw uh, that uh, that was made in terms of between these two guys, it was probably Fernier versus uh, Colorado, and DTR hit him right in the end zone. I think it was like a 50-yard throw. And DTR has a huge arm. That's, you know, we've seen in the offseason, and we've seen it since high school. The guy can throw 70 yards, but why does that matter if we don't have the wide receivers to, to break off and the playmakers. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think you're completely on the mark there. Yeah, so I guess that takes us to kind of the future, like, of next year and for Chip Kelly, uh, like, and our personnel. Where, where do we stand going into 2021 now? Um, my prediction how this offseason is going to go is I actually think we're going to close with one more guy um, in recruiting at least and uh, whether that's you know the, the, the defensive lineman out of Vegas, Sabea, who's deciding between us and Nebraska um, so I think we're, we're most likely we'll close with him unless this game is really you know turned him away and I don't think it did um I'm curious to see about Morrell. I think Morrell, not Morrell, sorry, uh, Cardwell from San Diego, the mm-hmm. best running back. You know, he's down to us in Oregon. I still think he's going to go to Oregon since that's his dream school, and they seem to be rolling. They're going to be in the Fiesta Bowl. And so I think he, there's just too much to convince him. Um, so, but Sevea, and then I'm curious about the other guy from uh, from Hawaii, Um I think his name is, it, it, they, they have an acronym or initialism for him. Um, you know, the, the athlete. Yep. And I, I, can't, I can't say his name right now, but if you know, you know. Um, so with that, I think our class would, would jump into the top 28 um, at the minimum. And that's what I'm predicting. In terms of the coaching staff, so we're going to have the guys there to plug in. We're going to have a, one of our best classes, uh, our second best class if we close, if we end up at 28. So we'll have some gamers. Which is very um, weird to say for UCLA, which we were used to like getting top 10, 15 classes for years under Mora. And even Rick Neuheisel would bring in really talented classes. Yeah, and a lot of them, some of them didn't amount to much. 2013, um, it, you know, we had Priest Willis and Tahan Goodman and not to, was it Tom Goodman? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that class didn't do much. It was funny to see how the sleepers, like, really turned out to be the gamers. Um, so I'm, I'm curious. To, I, I really think, you know, with a lot of these guys 
Chip Kelly's bringing high character guys in. Um, it's it's really exciting to see someone like Kirkwood and Morrell and then Miles Jackson, you know, from the year before, decommit and recommit and just see that process. I think um, it's strange, isn't it? It's very strange. So I, I what the lesson I've learned if we, you know, we have Chip Kelly for a year and I'll get onto that in a second is that with this class we just they have such an unorthodox approach in terms of these kids committing i genuinely think that um you know while i'm critiquing their targets and and them not being aggressive enough i think the relationships they do build with certain certain characters are are really good ones and in the sense of there's certain kids who are just like i feel no pressure committing to ucla like i don't feel like this staff is you know holding me hostage to say you have to commit to us. They're really giving me the space, and I see that with Morrell um, and how he decommitted. I mean, I can't think of a coach uh, on a non, maybe non-top ten uh, program currently that uh, is just letting that's been able to get guys to recommit at this rate. I think we're three for four, you know, um, since Chip Kelly's been here. So. We know the guys who are going to come to UCLA are committing for the right reasons, which is good. It, it gives that indication. Um, but yeah, I think also we just have to wait till signing day before we judge this class. We were ranked at 69 the night before and even lower. I think we were like 77th before we got a commitment over the weekend, um, the one from Alabama. So going into early signing day, we were... Uh, very lowly commit, you know, lowly ranked, and we just jumped up, and I think that could be a trend, you know, if Chip Kelly's successful and he stays at UCLA. But that's my that's my initial predictions on recruiting. Um, we have, coaching. I mean, we do uh, just kind of going back to recruiting a little bit in personnel. We do have some roster turnover, right? I mean, Felton has already declared that he's not going to be back, and that as expected. And that's, yeah, absolutely the right decision for him. And I think we, Britton Brown over the course of the season, who I believe still has a year of eligibility, um, is shown to be a good back. I mean, he ran all over Stanford. The kid is good. And even in the tandem with Felton, he was making plays. So, you know, we do have some talent still there. The the big question is, is does DTR leave? Um and, you know, the feeling is that he, he is likely to jump up and leave. Um, but, you know, it's not 100%. And that's kind of the big question, Mark, right now is, like, our QB recruiting has not been very good. And we talked about this last podcast episode. And so from a talent perspective, like, who do we, who do we have starting next year if DTR does leave? Is it Chase? Have we seen enough from Chase? I think think so but even so as a bat like you know if, if god forbid something happens to chase if he gets hurt which you know is possible and and even likely sometimes in football then like who's the backup and there just seems to be like a, the the qb depth chart is just a little sketchy um and that's where i think recruiting has been a huge miss um you know, you, you talked about it jumping and, and improving, and that's absolutely true, but it always feels like we're always a step behind in filling that position of need. Like, it was two years ago where we needed linebackers. We didn't get any, but then in the next class, we got, like, 10 and had to, like, step up. 
which really hasn't even impacted us in a positive way. Like our linebackers were probably the uh, weakest part or middle linebacking was our weakest part of our defense, but that's a different story. Um, but it still feels like the recruiting is one step behind, is, is my point. Yeah, you may have a point there, and especially in the QB being the most glaring spot. Um, if we had Jackson Dart, I, I mean, letting USC get two studs of QBs is, is unacceptable, and that just continues to be the case. It was funny when Jake... Garcia decommitted, you would think like, okay, Moss has, has that spot locked up, and it's like, no, just, you know, pick and plug another stud, um, and it would be such a better situation if we had one of those guys come into Westwood, um, but here we are in terms of um, filling that spot. I'm not too concerned because I also think uh, I'm curious to see if Colson wants to come back to the QB position. You know, I don't even know if he's going to stay for another year. I'm, you know, everybody has eligibility to stay for another year. I just don't know how it's going to work out with classes or, um, wh you know, what qualifies, um, you know, in terms of UCLA's compliance. But I'm curious about Colson, uh, who didn't think he was going to get PT this year. I also didn't see him on the field as a wide receiver, if at all. Um, and uh, Parker, I mean, he, he fell in the rankings, but he was, in, you know, he, he has the kind of label as a tall QB, but not necessarily completely accurate. But I'm curious to see, you know, after a year, what he looks like um, after sitting a year. Uh, so I'm not going to judge it just yet because I do think we have three viable options um, with potential. Uh, and, you know, I'm excited. To, um, hopefully we, we close on Malik Murphy, who seems to be a big UCLA and Oregon fan, um, going down the stretch of his recruitment. And, you know, he's going to be a five-star QB and definitely a game changer in terms of the program. But is, is having three, maybe four, like, scholarship QBs enough, though, on a college team? It seems light. I mean, we also have Holloway behind them, you know, so. I, that, I think I was counting Holloway in that. Oh, so, but if Colson, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's just to be seen. That's my, and then also the transfer market. I'm sure Brewer ended up going to, Charlie Brewer from Baylor ended up going to Utah, but I'm curious to see if we bring in someone on the transfer market. So I'm holding off on that uh, to see what Chip Kelly does with, because as we've seen with this year, he brought in Brown, he brought in Ebo, who, you know, was hurt. Um, and didn't yield the results we expected, but, you know, night is a pleasant surprise. And a lot of people were making fun of, you know, the whole Kent State or getting guys from Kent State. The guy ended up being a gamer. Um, so I'm going to hold off on assessing that just yet. In, in yeah, terms that's of, fair. But in terms of getting the young guys and setting up the pipeline, yeah, it is very shaky. Uh, and that there's not much of a foundation there. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are rumors now that, you know, Chip Kelly might not even be on the sideline next year, which I, I, I know we have differing opinions on this, but what are, what are your thoughts? I'll let you go. Urban, first. urban 2021. <laughs> That's my thought. Um, I, you He's know, screaming, it, dude. It, college football, I, I think the thing with college football is one of the most unpredictable, um, places when it comes to college sports with personnel right and 
I say that because I didn't expect us to get Chip Kelly in 2017. I didn't expect us to fire Mora even after losing 28 to, to 23, and you know, and Josh Rosen having a hell of a game. I thought he fought well enough to keep the job, and you know, he was fired the next morning. That you know, and then we pick up rumors of Chip Kelly the following weekend, and then the next Thursday, right before Thanksgiving or Wednesday, we have a Chip Kelly. Like it was like the fastest two weeks in terms of. UCLA actually making a big boy move. We didn't expect it, and it wasn't even a, I guess the budgets weren't a necessarily a concern other than Morris buyout, but, you know, Wasserman, they made that call, and uh, they went after the big fish, and so I think in that context, I don't think there's anybody out there right now that UCLA has secured in terms of, or honed in as a target, I really don't, but I expect Martin to, who knows that the you know the program is his most important uh, facet of, of, of his career at UCLA, the football program in particular, um, is going to really do a full assessment. And I expect them to have a hard conversation with Chip Kelly about the staff, about recruiting, everything we've gone over. And uh, with that, I just... I can't predict how Chip Kelly is going to respond just knowing, you know, last year there were reports that he was thinking about leaving after a dismal, you know, after the season was going sideways. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it's probably, if I had to put percentages to it, I would say there's a 70% chance that Chip Kelly stays and then he has to let go of, you know, certain offensive, I mean, certain staff members like Bible, Pelham, um, and as an arrow, but uh, I think it's either that or Chip Kelly just says, "Hey, like I, I don't, I'm too loyal to these guys, you know, to a fault, and this hasn't gone the the way I wanted to. Even though I feel like we're, you know, this conversation's not going the way I I wanted to because I feel like we're on the edge. We're almost there. We just need one more year, you know. And he asked, he's like, I asked for five years to turn this around. What's happening here, you know?" So that in itself, I think it's just very unpredictable. But I, I think Chip Kelly will be on the sideline next year. I think they'll come to a resolution. I think uh, given that we're three and four, I don't think our record indicates the progress this team has made. Um, and everybody's pretty much aware of that. Yeah, I I know that report that came out of you know possibly Chip Kelly not being here next year. Um, and that Jarman was already looking at Urban Meyer and Chris Peterson. And as soon as I saw Chris Peterson's name on there, I sort of began discounting it and Urban Meyer's for that matter. But uh, Peterson has uh, numerous times now is rejected coming to L.A. at this point. And I don't see why it would be any different for either school. I, he just doesn't seem to like Los Angeles and that's fine. Um I just I, I I don't buy that rumor at all. I do agree he will be here next year, um, or Chip Kelly will be here next year. It just doesn't seem like the right time to be trying to fire a coach in the midst of a pandemic, especially at UCLA right now with with the money situation and the financial situation that our athletic department's in. So it doesn't feel like the right time to fire a coach um and i think jarman even if he wanted to probably realizes that um gives him that extra year i i think next season is really going to be the make 
or break for for Chip Kelly at UCLA. Um, my own feelings are I wish we'd left Chip Kelly in Pasadena and let, never let him step foot back onto UCLA's campus ever again. But I'm not the athletic department, the athletic director, so I have no say in this. I'm in two minds about it. You know, I think uh, I want I wanted Chip Kelly to do well coming here, but we all did. Uh, but we I all were excited. Yeah. I, I think his, even his approach to everything, you know, in theory actually isn't bad. Um, and I think it could lead to success. My problem is, is that he will not adapt to today's college game. Um, and taking over a program the way he has, I think there are a, many misses he's had because he's, he's there's just his hubris about him. Um, that I don't even think is off-putting to the players. I think the players are starting to buy in. I don't. I don't even buy into the like all the players don't like Chip Kelly. I think yeah, there's a lot of Mora guys that disliked his style and how he brought in. But this team overall, um, you know, I I mean I even believe that Chip Kelly brought in some guys that aren't aren't really happy with him. But that happens with every coach. That's not a Chip Kelly issue. Uh, so I think that's overblown. But to that point is that his his, his kind of arrogance about like I'm gonna get this right and you know we see it out in the field of, of management it's just like there's only little margin for error in this in this program the, at the point that you took over UCLA football which hasn't been relevant for a sustainable long time since the 90s um, so you're taking over nearly 20 years and you want to completely reinvent um, bringing in a culture that's going to take maybe yields like the results, you know, the fans want after five to seven years, right? Most fans were expecting, okay, we'll see progress the first two years and then we'll start winning the third year. It hasn't been that, you know, because at the end of the day, we know that we felt there was a better way to go about it. And I think that in that sense, you know, this experiment of the nutritional program, the, the, the spending, I don't even care how much the school spends on food because the, the school spends a lot on things that it doesn't need to, and we all know that, you know. Um, so that that's a bigger, you know, bigger conversation on that front. I'd rather, our, you know, our athletes eat well, you know, as crazy as it seems in those numbers and how inflated they seem. But it, it just goes to that, like Chip Kelly's approach to this all just – I don't think fits UCLA at this time. And I still expect, especially with a tough schedule next year, you know, having LSU, I believe we're going, if we don't, if we don't, if there's no adjustments on scheduling for next year, if if things don't shift like the 2020 schedule to, and I doubt they will, um, you know, we're going into Death Valley next year. And then we have Oregon and Washington still in the schedule um, for for our Pac-12 North teams. Like, we're still, at max, we're looking at, at, at best, an eight and four season, if that, you know. And most fans are going to be expecting seven wins, but that's what we're expecting this year. And we get it, you know. There's bigger issues that are going on in the world, but the guy went three and four, and if we're making a leap, it just feels like it's going to be marginal next year, and it's gonna, it's not going to do much to, to excite to generate excitement for a program that's felt idle and just, you know, the little brother in L.A. for 
much longer than it should have. We had a spark, you know, for for four years, and we never really was able to carry that momentum. But um, I yeah, that's my opinion. Like, if we want to cut our losses, cut them now because I just it, it feels in, in the end that Chip Kelly is going to leave UCLA, whether it's resigned or fired, and it's going to be next year because um, he didn't deliver on too big of expectations, uh, and he's supposed to make this huge leap when he hasn't shown anything that's, that, I mean, maybe he's shown some evidence of that this year, but the way these games have closed, I'm, I'm still not confident next year is going to go how we hope. Yeah, and there's, there's a little bit of, like, the sunk cost fallacy at play here. It's like, why wait a year, right? We've already invested, like, we're not getting our return back. Like, there's no reason to wait a year. And I, you know, the culture thing and, and setting that kind of foundation in the program, I get, and I think we have seen some improvements on that end. And like you said, the players have bought in, but more so than that, it's like schematically and play calling wise, like nothing Chip Kelly has been doing on the field has made sense, right? He's just done it's like he's looked at the landscape of college football and just has been tried to be as contrarian as possible. Like, oh, let's run like quick spread offenses. Nope, we're going to have like seven tight ends on the field instead. And just doing weird things like that. And I just, and then the in-game play calling has just been boneheaded throughout this, especially this season has been evident, but just throughout his tenure here. Um, and the most frustrating thing is that, like, he will do things that work and clearly work and work time and time again, but won't consistently do those things and won't build off of those things. It's like he doesn't want to do the, like, obvious successful things because he wants to prove everyone wrong that his way will work over the better over those those schemes that are working. And I think that's the, the, the most annoying part with this whole thing is in his whole kind of tenure here so far is that there's flashes of good teams and good play and success, but then he just refuses to kind of build off of that. And for me, that's just like a, a, a no, like you're gone if you can't you recognize that and build off of that like as a successful coach you need to be able to do that and if you're not going to then you're not you should have no business being the head coach if you can't recognize what's going to make you successful then why are you here agreed wholeheartedly so i i i agree i don't think we see him gone this season but i wouldn't and i'm not getting my hopes up but i wouldn't be mad if he was done because uh, i'm i'm over it uh, the last two weeks especially but just yeah, I, i've been pretty vocal about this for the last year and a half two years it's like this experiment is not working out and that's the problem is the fact that we even call this an experiment like is what's frustrating because it shouldn't have been an experiment yeah i mean if we just look at the prospect of having say a like a chris peterson and you know, Urban Meyer, what what sparks in our head when we see an article like that. We know this that this is a coach that's going to come in and know what works, and they're going to stick to it, you know. And it, 
just it, when you have such a, a a coach who seems to to be dealing with this innovators you know dilemma um it, it's frustrating to see him stray away from what has worked in college football and you know it's telling on his first press conference when he's asked that question and a lot of us interpret his answer you know when he said i'm going to scheme to the personnel i have was the fact that okay, that makes sense. Like, he can't do that in his first year because the guys that he has are, he's inheriting from Mora, which are more of a, yeah, they they were spread guys and all this stuff, but um, they weren't the, the fast blur guys that he even seemed to be recruiting when he had a Casimir Allen, um, you know, and a DTR as a dual threat, you know, on offense. And so that, it, it very much has gone, you know, a weird way away from what has worked and we've continuously seen in these games when we go to tempo when we go to spread things work it works it works in college it will always work to some degree yeah you need to tweak a few things yeah there'll be rule changes that try to offset it but it works stick to it and and stop like with everything else and you're you're, like you're not in the pro system. It's a reason why it's called you know a pro system offense. Um, if we're winning, these guys are gonna get looks for the draft and stop opening up the playbook to a point where you know these young players are they just don't have the time yet to 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 or the reps or even just the NCAA regulations to have enough time to become the players you want them to be. And you're not even recruiting these guys that are far advanced, you know, in talent. To, to to offset you know some of your scheming mistakes so it's it's just yeah it's it's very frustrating it's this conundrum of 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 just banging our head against the wall and and clearly we can break through you know if we had someone who clearly understood you know what they did well and they just stuck to it um and clearly you know we're okay with tweaking things around but we hired him to to for the successes he had in Oregon, and he seems to stray away from that for whatever reason. Um, so, it's yeah, yeah. I don't I, I I don't fully understand it at this point. I yeah, it's just it's depressing to to kind of throw what was supposed to be seen as like you know a home run hire away. Um, you know we were it was kind of this felt like a sea change for for the program getting this you know top tier coach at the time that oh you know a lot of big p5 programs were after florida was trying to get him and and it was seen as a huge deal and it just it hasn't worked out and i i think we need to be careful at this point of not trying to live in that moment like oh yeah he was a big name that we got we got to make this work because no amount of that is going to make it work. And so if it's this isn't the way we're going to win, and I, to me it doesn't seem like Chip Kelly is going to be the way we're going to win and build a good program, then we need to part ways. Agreed. And I, you know, and I, I, no, go ahead. I was just going to say sooner than later. Absolutely. And I, I, I think Martin German is smart and, and knows that. And will make that decision when he can. I just I don't think that there, there are other factors in play right now at this very moment at the end of this season that um, might be tying his hands more than he would even like. Um, 
and you know him him coming out and basically saying like no this isn't going to happen i think is indicative that it's not going to happen i i think if there was a legitimate chance that you know jarman was thinking about firing him um he wouldn't have said anything necessarily that quickly um i know you you were convinced he was doing that to save the recruiting class but i i i just i I don't see him saying anything if he was legitimately thinking about it. And, you know, it is nice to have an AD that engaged, you know, within like an hour of that report coming out, even less. He's coming out and tweeting stuff and making public statements. Dan Guerrero probably wouldn't have known for like a week that that report had come out. He's like uh, Josh's uh, email. It's just sitting there in his inbox. <laughs> in his spam folder that he accidentally is, like, filtered it to. Yeah. So, and, you know, from that perspective, I think it shows Jarman is aware, acutely aware of the situation and, and where the program is. Uh, and uh, we'll make the move when he can, but I just, I'm not buying that he's going to be able to do that this season. Agree, but if we were going to advocate... Just Jarman, find some money someplace. We don't even know. And it's not going to be from us, a drone source. So we're, <laughs> but we're just pleading, please, please find a donor. Because we know that's, you know, that was your expertise at Boston College. Do this for us. <laughs> find, I mean, and when we see Auburn, again, Auburn has so much money pumped into their program. When they're paying $21.5 million buyout for for axing Gus, and then even, I think, an extra $10 million. It just puts in that perspective. I'm like, oh, $9 million. I know I don't have it, but it's not that much, <laughs> is it? <laughs> is uh, it? Uh, so, any, yeah, I mean, we can go on and on about Chip Kelly. We're, we do think he's going to be here, unfortunately. Bruin Source were very ambivalent to his progress um, for many reasons, but... Um, yeah, it also just knowing college football and the landscape and the nature of it, uh, wouldn't be surprised uh, if you know things turn out much differently than predicted. Yeah, then I'm also partially convinced that UCLA is cursed, and regardless of the coach we bring in, we're gonna break him. Like, if we hired Nick Saban tomorrow, like he would come here and just suck. Yeah, that would be like what an immovable force versus a unstoppable i don't even know the saying I'm object not sure finish object yeah so <laughs> it would be curious to see that so that we can call an experiment that is like an experiment i'm willing to take on <laughs> so yeah i mean UCLA look if, if we hired nick saban soon. tomorrow and nick saban sucked after one season or even two seasons I am all for just shutting this program down because at that point we just we know there's no nothing on earth nothing in this universe would make this program good I'll tell you what the state they would be pretty happy with that budget and the UCs yeah and probably Murphy Hall as well I'm sure Gene is like over this whole He's like, if there's one program, I'm sure somewhere in a dinner in Beverly Hills, he has said, if there's one program I can get rid of, it's UCLA football. They have been. It would be better for our health. Yeah. 
Um, so, anyways, we've gone from Chip Kelly wanting him fired to UCLA program being folded. That's how the season and has cursed. ended. Cursed. Um, and three and four after being mediocre for the past twenty years <laughs> plus. So that's where we are. Um, all right, so we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, basketball continues. Um, the girls playing in about thirty minutes um, against the number one Stanford and Oregon is coming up. But uh, yeah, continue to check us out. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on, Zed? Um, no, I'm just gonna go cry myself to sleep, even though it's like noon. I'll continue doing wellness checks with uh, with Zed's fiance, and then we'll we'll make sure we can get through this basketball season. It's all right. Okay. It's Wednesday's about to become uh, if we lose the full on fire McCronin day, so. I'm on the edge of the precipice with everything right now. Yeah. Well, we'll take care of that over here. And in the meantime, follow us on Bruins Source. And go Bruins. Go Bruins. <laughs>